Welcome to the 360 Recruiting Podcast, a podcast for OU recruitments, presented by Sooners360.com. Each and every week, we catch you up on the latest in OU recruiting, including offers, evaluations, schedules, opinions, and more. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. What is up, everybody? Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the 360 Recruiting Podcast, presented by Sooners 360. I'm your host, Matt, joined as usual by my co-host. We'll start with Chris Mason, our lead recruiting analyst over at Sooners360.com, and Caleb Cummings, a.k.a. Mr. Sooner55, our film guru over at 360. Before we get to the show, just a reminder to subscribe to the 360 Recruiting Podcast on your favorite platform of choice. And thank you for joining us for episode number 23. We're calling this one, Commit Number One is In, 24 More to Go. We will get started covering the latest recruiting news of the week. Chris, what's going on in OU's recruiting world? Well, we'll we'll start off with the from the title of the podcast. OU has their first commitment of 2024. It's Jeremiah Newcomb, a cornerback from Arizona. This is a little bit of a surprise name. I wouldn't have put Newcomb as my guess that OU is going to get him, and I wouldn't have guessed he would be the first commit. So he visited uh, during the week of the uh, Future Freaks event. And I think he apparently stayed on all week to attend the event. So he was like in Norman for like nearly three, four days and pulled the trigger uh, on that Saturday. So he's a, he's 5'11", about 175 pounds. He looks, we're not, I'm not going to go into any great in-depth analysis on him because we've got Caleb coming up uh, later to talk about him in depth, but he's a top 200 composite player. On three has him ranked uh, the highest at around 164. He's uh, His dad is Bobby Newcomb, who was a Nebraska quarterback slash wingback. Uh, Bobby was actually in Norman in 2000 to watch OU beat Nebraska and tear down the goalposts. So uh, Bobby was a great athlete at a college, at a high school. He was highly ranked at the time. And he has a brother who is at UCLA. So this was this is a really surprising commit and uh, a good start for OU with a with a it's gotten a little bit unburied and it's kind of surprising because you know a top two hundred cornerback two years ago would have been like fanfare and and uh, parades for OU to get but you know we've kind of gotten to a higher expectation with with Brent Venables and the defensive staff Jay Valai in terms of who they'll bring in so he's it's kind of been like oh this guy okay. Uh, so it's interesting from that from that perspective, kind of our new our adjusted expectation in terms of what we're going to bring in defensively. So um, I really like this commitment, and like I said, we're going to we're going to talk a little bit in depth on uh, on Jeremiah and what it means for the class uh, coming up here in a bit. All right, so Jeremiah gets it started for this class. Uh, there's been three big visit weekends already this year. Uh, one kind of more geared towards 2025, but there were still 2024 guys on campus. And now uh, starting today is the official official visit period. Uh, players can start taking their officials to OU 
and they are starting to get booked up. Chris, who's who's getting booked and, and when? So OU gets 56 visits they can use starting April 1st this year through April 1st, 2024. Uh, last year, they made an adjustment and gave everybody extra visits uh, to use for the portal and for and for some other reasons because they're allowing over signing. I'm not sure that's going to happen this year. So if OU is bringing a kid in officially this summer, that's a, that's a huge indicator of where OU thinks they are and the priority for that kid. So we'll list, start off with two kids I think are big priorities for the class. And I really love, you know, where OU is with both of these kids. So the first one is Vabu Torre. He's the New Jersey safety we've been talking about. And he's coming in June 16th, right after his Penn State visit. The second player is James Peoples, the running back from San Antonio. He's also coming in June 16th. Last year, OU had a big recruiting weekend, uh, the first thing in June, and ended up getting something like 10 out of 15 kids who visited. So I wonder if June 16th is maybe where OU is targeting as their big weekend. We'll, we'll see as more visits get set, but right now with two off the two 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 official visits booked and them and both of them the same weekend that that kind of is an indicator maybe of that that's going to be the big weekend that OU uses uh peoples is going to be back on campus for the april 22nd uh spring game and he's also set his ohio state visit which is the weekend after OU so this is looking like an ohio state OU battle and we'll talk a little bit more on that when we get to the crystal ball section where some people think it's going, but I think people's coming back for the, for the April spring game is a huge, uh, it's a huge step in the right direction for OU. And we'll also start tracking who's going to, who's going to come into town for the spring game. Cause OU hasn't, we haven't had that yet already. We already had all these kids on campus. And I think a bunch of them are going to come back for the spring game. So that's the first two official visits OU has both of them June 16th. So I think we'll get more, as the weeks go on and, and, and players start putting those, um, a lot of players are going to decide in this summer timeframe, this June, July timeframe and get their five visits in to make decisions before their senior years. So Chris, we're going to start seeing this. Yes. Do you think that Penn state is the primary uh, antagonist there for Torre with Oklahoma? I do. Yeah. That's why I like yeah. getting in that visit after Penn state. So Penn state, his Penn State visits before the OU visit. So, yeah, I think that's kind of where we are, Caleb. Yeah, that seemed interesting that he he came down for an unofficial on his own dime, which is big from New Jersey, and then immediately locked in an official. So I thought that was – yeah, that would be my take as well, looking at it, that it would probably be Oklahoma and Penn State, which is – you know, Penn State's – they've obviously – Franklin has recruited really good athletes that – the NFL likes. So he's, they've done a pretty decent job of pumping out kids. So that'll be probably a battle. Yeah. I mean, they're going to have Joey, uh, Joey Porter Jr. probably drafted and he, he's, he's not quite a, a, a template for, for Torre, but I'm sure Penn state will be selling the fact that uh, Joey Porter, you know, big, big DB is going to the NFL. So yeah, I think it's probably Penn state, but to your point, I mean, Torre's in Norman, and then like within a day, he's got an official visit. So I think that says a whole lot about his level of interest and OU's level of interest in him. 
All right. April also means uh, commitments. You see some national recruits starting to commit to other schools all across the country. Uh, it's just after that spring eval period, people have made some spring visits. They're starting to get ready. Chris, we've we've talked about some guys like Michael Hawkins. His commitment date is coming up. What other recruits out there uh, have started to set some commitment dates? Yeah, in terms of um, players at OU, we're targeting uh, the first name that comes up is uh, Aaron Flowers, the DB from Forney, Texas. He set an April 7th commitment date. And at one time, he seemed to be an OU lean, but recently he's taken unofficial visits to Alabama and in particular USC. After he got back from USC, he set this commit date. So it's looking like right now the trend lines are, are kind of indicating that he's probably going to choose USC possibly Bama, but everything's sort of trending that he's going to choose USC at least on, at least on April 7th. OU's I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how OU's got some other names in the, in the hopper at safety. I'm not sure how, how much OU's working between now and then to, to, to forestall that USC commitment that folks are projecting, but that's where Aaron Flowers looks like he's going, he's going to choose on, on April 7th. Hey, Chris, I'm curious because, I mean, Oklahoma fans, I think we all went through it for a number of years with Lincoln where the spring, they use a great, they did a great job of building up uh, some momentum and some hype and getting some kids to commit or feeling like they were really good with kids and, and not sure how, how are we even going to fit all these kids into the class. And then it, it would fizzle out, you know, even, and even last year, I don't know if guys remember, you know, USC, landed Braxton Myers, uh, a DFW, you know, top 200 player, a, another safety uh, early in that last spring, uh, you know, kind of a really similar story to Flowers in that regard committed. Then as the season wore on, he ended up flipping to Ole Miss. I'm curious if you had to bet on it and, and you see Flowers, you know, choose, choose Grinch and Riley in USC, what do you think that'll stick? It's hard to say. I mean, I think a lot depends on how USC looks defensively on the field. But yeah, I mean, I think we've kind of, as you said, we've seen this last year. We saw it with Lincoln Riley getting, you know, the emoji, the five emoji eyes after the spring game for, for OU and really OU didn't end up with any of those kids. So yeah, I, it, it looks like perhaps he's fallen in love with, with the Calif you know, California marches, you know, is, 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 is very pretty. It's uh, there's a lot of LA is very nice. So yeah, I think it's a distinct possibility that, you know, perhaps he flips, perhaps he flips later on to Bama if they keep recruiting him. Although, you know, I think Bama has got a couple of safety, uh, you know, targeting some other, some other safeties instead um, in the, in the Southeast region. But yeah, I think, yeah, it does. It we'll see, maybe they're going to break, maybe Lincoln can finally break this trend line, but yeah, it certainly seems to fit that narrative of, we made a big push for a guy, a splashy guy. We got him in in March, and and now we're going to hold on for dear life to try and sign him in December. Yeah, and and I don't mean to say that he you know would end up at at Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma's got a ton of options, uh, you know, at, that they would probably turn to. And there's you know Torre, who we talked about. I think is probably a really high priority. But I just find there's a lot of correlation in my mind between looking at what they did last year with Braxton Myers and a number of, you know, Burke kids. And then what happened uh, as, as it all, you know, unfolded. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's, it's a, it certainly fits something that we've seen before. So we'll, we'll have to, I think 
you know, on the field uh, defensive effort, you know, would help a great deal. But I think that's going to be we, the interesting one is yeah. how much there is. And I don't know if it's right or wrong. It's, pro- it's probably not fair in some regards, uh, just given it was year one. But, you know, there is a massive, massive, massive amount of uh, negative uh, momentum around Alex Grinch as defensive coordinator. I don't see, given how the media is in, in California and given you have two jack wagons like Bush and Leinart that are just, you know, talking heads that run their gums 24 <laughs> seven on social media and on that yeah, and on the yeah. pregame show, you know, is that's, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. Honestly, that's a really bad spot for a guy like Grinch because we all know this, right? Like the, the larger ESPN Fox, what those talking heads can really drive how everybody else feels, which then really drives how the athletic director feels. And those, those guys do not like Grinch, don't like his system. They think the defense is obviously, and it is what's holding them back. So, you know, if they, they fail this year with, a you know, with, with Caleb Williams and the defense falters, I, I, I just have a difficult time seeing him surviving and keeping his job. It seems like they would probably, and I don't think, there's that old saying, uh, I think it was Lou Holtz had, right? He's like, you know, when you win, your enemies can't touch you, you lose, and your friends can't help you. So, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how, how USC, you know, does defensively. It's a little, it's a little, little, can't throw too many um, rocks at their, um, uh, at their greenhouse, considering we have multiple panes of the OU defense greenhouse to get fixed. <laughs> to fix so um but yeah it, it, i think that recruiting and any other defensive stars they get it will be it, it, it could follow that that same pattern you know losing them and and especially if grinch uh falters at the end of the year so but um uh, just to, to circle back uh matt michael hawkins is still sticking with his date of april 8th he visited ou this week along with his brother so everything right now is trending towards uh, Mike Hawkins choosing OU uh, over a TCU um, next uh, next Saturday. So that would be a big addition for OU from the quarterback side of things. Um, other OU quarterback targets, I never thought OU had much of a chance with him, uh, but Jaden Davis, the the top five top five quarterback in the country from Charlotte, chose Michigan. So that's a big win for Michigan. They've got a quarter, got an elite quarterback. They beat Ohio State for an elite running back uh, just recently. So they're off. They're off on. A, they're on a little bit of a hot string. Um, OU has a secondary quarterback target. We think OU wants to try and sign two Q, QBs if they can, and that's uh, Samaj Jones from Philadelphia. He was in for the Future Freaks weekend, which we're going to go a little bit more in depth here in a second. And he's now down to a Final Four after that OU visit. And it's, it's an interesting mix of schools. It's Cincinnati, West Virginia, OU, and Penn State. And he's already set up his Cincinnati, West Virginia, and Penn State official visits. And uh, the Penn State official visit is for June 16th. So unless he changes some things around, he won't be in for what could be the big OU weekend. I think an OU visit will get scheduled soon. I don't know. I, I think maybe he's could be that he's waiting for Mike Hawkins to – do what Mike Harkins does before he sets up his official. Maybe there's no factor there at all, but I did think Cincinnati and West Virginia were, you know, they just, let's just be honest. They're not the same level of programs as OU and Penn state. So I thought that was kind of an interesting mix. 
Hey, Chris, um, do you think there's any, if let's say like fast forward and, you know, pretend Hawkins does commit to Oklahoma one week from today, do you think there could be any, any uh, resounding impact on some of the DFW, particularly offensive players like a Caden Durham, uh, Mitchell, the tight end, or even Bryant Westcoat? Or do you think that their timelines are completely independent of anything Hawkins is doing? It's, it's hard to say, but I, I think you could see some guys move up some windows. And, you know, we're, if you're somebody like Bryant Wesco, you probably can drag this thing out as far as you want now. But you visited a bunch of schools in March. You're doing some more unofficials in April. So uh, I think there's a chance that, you know, he could decide, move up his, move up his window, make an OU official visit and move up his window. Same thing for, uh, same thing for Caden Durham. Uh, Davin Mitchell is an interesting one because everybody seems to think he's reclassifying to 2024. And I think he'll take some visits if he does this summer, but it looks like if OU gets Michael Hawkins, they're the huge leader for Davin Mitchell, uh, the tight end from Allen, who's now out in Los Angeles. And I couldn't be more of a fan of, of Mitchell's film. That would be a, if that, if that, package deal ends up happening for OU that's a big deal Davin is an elite looking NFL type tight end so yeah it could be could be interesting Hawkins we could after Hawk if Hawkins does fall for OU I think we could see some some folks jumping on the musical chairs at various spots because the pressure at certain positions is starting to get a little a little tight well speaking of that pressure um, and, and these kids starting to have to make decisions. We haven't, you know, Chris, you haven't put out any uh, predictions since the Wesco prediction, but around the industry, there have been some other forecasts and crystal balls that have come in for OU prospects, both 24 and 25. Uh, you want to give us a little rundown of kind of who's trending our direction. And then at the, the end of that, maybe some guys that look like could be trending away from OU. Yeah, the, the first, there was a big seven-on-seven seven tournament in Austin during the Future Freaks weekend. And Jaden Hardy apparently was like a superstar at that event. And then all of a sudden, right after that event, which had a lot of recruiting writers and from the Texas area, national area, because uh, it was a big tournament with lots and lots of players. All of a sudden, both 247 and Rivals started putting in Crystal balls to OU for Jaden Hardy, uh, the Louisville safety. He's about six, six foot, 180, good cover safety, but also, you know, he's, he's not afraid to hit a, hit a wide receiver or a running back. And I think he may be sort of like top of the OU safety board. So he's one of those players where perhaps you could see something happen maybe in the next 30 days. The other name is, we just talked about him, is 25 tight end Davin Mitchell, Again, he was at that seven-on-seven event. He was on Michael Hawkins' team. He was making play after play um, against good, great competition. You know, that was a year ahead of him. So he's been he's been forecasted to OU, and everyone seems to really sort of tie Hawkins and Mitchell together. That would be an interesting addition. He jumps classes at 24. He solves OU's tight end problem in the 24 class instantly. And he's a big kid. He's like 6'4", 240. He, he, he's not a light tight end. Oh, he's been signing some kids who are, who are a little lighter recently, except for Llewellyn. Uh, 
but Mitchell is a serious receiving tight end and he's he's got like a college ready body so it's it would be an interesting uh change up to see if he makes that that move in terms of changing classification because I don't think OU's had a a high school football player who's like moved up a class before uh, not one that I can recall anytime recently and then the other name like out of nowhere was uh, wide receiver Grayson Harris from uh, Ennis, Texas. And he was at the T- Future Freaks event. And he's 5'9", 160, lots of speed, super slot receiver. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to come in anytime soon, but it came the, the crystal ball came in from multiple locations. And the 25 wide receiver race is going to be insane. OU's 25 wide receiver group that they had at the Future Freaks event had basically four or five of the top 10 wide receivers in the country. So um, maybe Grayson Harris is like, you know, I want to be a Sooner. I love Emmett Jones uh, and I'm, I'm going to pull this trigger really early. So it'd be kind of funny if on paper, OU had more 25 commitments to 24 commitments going into the spring game. But, um, but to your point, there's also traffic around OU prospects. Uh, being pointed elsewhere. And the two biggest names this week were James Peoples, who I've already referenced, uh, was was being uh, named to Ohio State. And I think, forecast what I say, and I think that's because, like I said, Ohio State lost their number one running back target to Michigan. Uh, an Ohio kid who, from Cincinnati, attended uh, Muller High School, which is like a, uh, a famous pipeline. And then the other name, which is a little bit of a surprise, is Peyton Pierce, the linebacker from Lovejoy who has been rumored to be an OU lean for a while, was also kind of forecasted to Ohio State. Now, Ohio State has a new linebacker coach, James Laurinaitis. He was the Ohio, he was the Notre Dame linebacker coach who was doing a good job of Pierce. Now he's at Ohio State. Peyton's just recently been to Ohio State. So there's a little bit, I think, of a post-visit high and buzz there. I, I, I wouldn't, I think they're they're interesting forecasts, but I think both recruitings uh, have some have some time to work out and aren't really. I don't think either kid is set on Ohio State. I think there's going to be two battles that we'll see um, branch out after they start taking their official visits. Yeah, the the Peyton Pierce one that seems you know I think there was someone on twenty four seven that was just oh this relationship's too much and had forecasted them to to. Uh, to Notre Dame previously. And then as soon as he moved over just about to Ohio state, it was, well, he'll probably follow him to Ohio state now. So I, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I feel like, tell me if I'm wrong or if you disagree, I feel like Peyton Pierce in some regards is going to come down to two things. One, maybe where Oklahoma knows they are with Sammy Brown. And then it kind of leads into part B of that being just how, how personal of a, of how much does Brent Venables himself dig into that one? And I kind of roll back to like Corey Nelson or other guys, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. where like once Venables decides like I want this linebacker and he truly believes in his heart because he's like a man of convictions, right? That I'm the best guy for you. This is the best system for you. And our path for development for you is the best path. And he starts, I mean, almost preaching that to those kids and building that relationship. I, you know, and again, maybe, oh, I can't think of who Lauren Itis's dad is. Like he's like ex wrestler, right? Road warrior. Yeah. 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 Maybe I think that's his uncle. Okay. Maybe you can't overcome 
you know, uh, little road warrior or whoever it is, <laughs> but I, I don't, it'll, it'd be surprising. You know, I, I, I guess I would just be surprised if Brent Venables has made a decision that, that Peyton Pierce has got to be a part of this class. If, uh, if the Oklahoma gets beaten on that one. And I think, again, you mentioned, you know, Dallas area impact, Michael Hawkins, offensive players, Michael Hawkins and Peyton Pierce are, are very friendly and, you know, I, Hawkins might actually be someone that helps OU with the Peyton Pierce recruiting relationship. So it's, it's Michael knows a lot of the elite kids in the Dallas area, and it's not just limited to the offensive side of the ball. All right. Before we jump into a little bit more depth analysis, uh, are, is there any other news to cover, Chris? Are there any key visitors coming up in the next week or so? Well, to just kind of close out this week, there were two interesting wide receiver visitors. The first one was Josiah Martin from Denton Geyer. He would have been Jackson Arnold's number one target. He doesn't currently have an OU offer, but he has an Alabama offer and a TCU offer. So I'm kind of surprised OU hasn't offered, but, um, you know, Levy's just working through his analysis and his due diligence and the wide receiver rumors could all of a sudden become really kind of tight for OU. So I think that's kind of why the offer hasn't occurred, but a kid with an offer who visited also and on social media was just raving about it is Isaiah McMorris from Nebraska. He's a Caden Helms uh, OU tight end teammate. He has an OU offer. His film's really good. I really like it. He has, he's, he's making plays all over the field, just sort of dominating. Um, and there's one crystal ball in for him from 247 writer Parker Thune. And to give Parker his props, he's from the Nebraska area. He has lots of contacts in that part of the country. So I, I think there's a, there's a chance Isaiah could, that, that crystal ball could pop into a, into an OU commitment fairly soon. Cause again, there are only so many seats in the wide receiver room and OU's got a couple of guys that they really want and are trending high for. So there may only really be one open wide receiver spot uh, out there uh, in recruiting for, for OU. All right. Thanks, Chris. We're going to move on to the next segment of this episode. We're going to do more of a deep dive analysis into some of these players we've been talking about, including the most recent commit to Oklahoma. He actually leads off the class of 2024 for head coach Brent Venables. Jeremiah Newcomb out of Arizona, defensive back. We're going to bring Caleb in to do a little deep dive here on Newcomb. Caleb, what are your thoughts on the defensive back from Arizona? Yeah, no, I kind of give my thoughts. Uh, you know, from a from a fit perspective, is probably where I'll start off because I, I think that's probably the thing that jumped out to me the most. Uh, you know, I think we everyone knows this, right? Brent, you know, unlike his predecessor, and you know, not a shot at Alex Grinch or anything, because uh, I think. I, I think I understand his methodology and his approach to how he wants to try to, you know, maximize physical ability. Uh, so height, weight, speed in those traits with what he asks guys to do inside a simplified scheme so they can master that, you know, and then, and then just play extremely fast. Right. But they don't, you know, in his scheme, they, 
you didn't see a lot of a lot of zone and Brent will mix things up a lot right and he'll play you know you'll see guys in off coverage you'll see press you'll see kind of just the full the full gamut of things that he'll ask his corners to do and I think maybe the top thing he's always going to demand of his corners and it doesn't matter size it doesn't matter anything like you've got to be physical and you've got to be willing to you know tackle on the edge and so you know from a fit perspective those are the things that jumped out to me about Newcomb on film because you know he's not you know when you watch Kobe Black I think to me anyway the first thing that jumped off the film when you watch Kobe Black was his size you know I thought my god you know he's out probably all of 6-1 and some change he's just really long like he, he jumps at you at size Newcomb won't like you know he's not a Patrick Peterson like freak athletically where you look out there and you're like wow that that guy looks different but what he is is like a highly efficient corner really in every area uh, and I think it's probably in some regards, you don't see it as much with high school kids like route recognition and really understanding, hey, what's going on They're You know, they're running a guy underneath me and a guy behind me. Where are they really trying to go with the ball and jumping the correct route? And just, you know, again, having understanding of the game. I think you see that with Nuka and you see him put his foot in the ground and he'll drive uh, and make make tackles on the perimeter. when He's playing off coverage, really good ball recognition. Uh, seeing pictures of him, I will say, like, uh, I, I wrote down, you know, he's probably average to slightly above average size for a corner, listed at 5'11", 175 pounds. I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, he's a little bit heavier than that. He's, he's a pretty – he's a well-built-together kid. He looks His like arms look huge. Yes, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> like, really, you know, he's high-cut, uh, muscular kid. He kind of – I'll be honest, like, the guy he reminded me a little bit of, but he's – he looks a little longer in the arms, I think, was Josiah Wagner. And everything kind of you're hearing about Wagner coming out of uh, – and Barry and I were joking about this because I think both of us were really big Wagner fans just from a, how the guy plays. Like, you know, uh, you don't have to run 4-3 flat, you know, or 4-2 something to be an elite corner, right, or to be a great football player at a defensive back. Like, you, you have to play football. And, you know, uh, it's, it's those things like tackling, understanding route – uh, you know, the route combinations, what they're trying to do and, and then being a dog about how you do it. And yeah, you know, Newcomb is, you know, he is fantastic in every area. Like he is above average uh, to really good. Maybe not like you wouldn't say, Hey, he's a guy's, I'm trying to think of Keely Ringo who be like, Hey, he's an elite height, weight, speed guy. But then you watch him play. He's got deficiencies in this game, you know, where it's like, ah, he's really not good in this particular area. It's probably average to below average. Newcomb's probably the opposite of that, where it's, there's nothing that is average to below average about his play. He's just not six foot two, 200 pounds in an Olympic sprinter. Uh, but no, he's, he's just a really good football player. Uh, so because- so would you say Wagner is your, say, recent recruit comp for Newcomb? Yeah, it, it would be. It would be. I, I, I think Wagner's probably – I think I joke about this, right? Whenever he signed, like I called him a dickhead or something of those nature, right? Like he's just a jerk, and you love that from those guys, like a guy that just plays with a massive chip on their shoulder, is never going to back down, don't care if you back down, he's going to bring it the next play. Uh, like – Wagner's got an edge, I think. I think you see that on film, in his high school film, and I think you're hearing that already. Uh, I don't know that Newcomb is as mean 
is, is Wagner. I mean, that's the best term to use. Like, I think he's a mean guy, uh, <laughs> but uh, he's, you know, he, he's that type of their, their skill set on the field and how they, you know, their play as a corner. Yeah. It's pretty similar, I think. So who, who would be your high ceiling comp? Not, not necessarily a recent comp, but for Newcomb's game uh, and also just, keep this in mind his brother isaiah over at ucla they they have him officially listed at six one so uh you, you know you'd think maybe the next year or so jeremiah could add another inch or two to his listed height uh, i don't know if that would play into you know doing a high ceiling comp for you but no I mean, it's it's notice it's definitely notable no yeah i mean it's honestly like and I even thought of this when I wrote down average to a slightly above average, you know, size for a cornerback. I feel like in the last five, six, seven years, that has changed a little bit. And I just think athletes, you know, uh, you know, it used to be corners that were six one and six foot two and could really run were pretty rare. And now, like every year you watch the combine or every year when you read a draft analysis, there are a bunch of kids coming out that are, you know, six, one and some change to six, two and some change and are hyper athletic. And so, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a really good comp for, for Newcomb. Uh, it's a difficult one, right? Cause I mean, part of me wants to say, uh, you know, like a Dom Franks, right. But I think he's, I think he's got better ball skills than what Dominique had, uh, but I think, you know, to your point, when he develops, I, I would expect a guy to be somewhere in, this, in the neighborhood of six foot and 190 pounds to 195 pounds in a physical guy that can play. He can play man. He can play zone. He can play off. He can play press. Uh, he's going to be efficient on the, on the perimeter, on the edge, you know, as a tackler, which is so important in today's game with, you know, probably – for a lot of teams in Oklahoma can be included in this, a big chunk of run game is really just quick passing game, right? It's just a long handoff. So your corners, you know, have got to be, got to be good tacklers. And, and I think, you know, Newcomb fits into that mold. Don't you think perhaps maybe, maybe a comp would be a slightly taller Clark Phillips, maybe from Utah. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a good comp. Um, and that's why I try to think of, you know, just slightly, because all the all the big cornerbacks are getting the big plug lately. But guys like Clark Phillips are going to end up with like ten year NFL careers. Yes, yeah. you know, or um, the guy with the Bears from Utah, Jalen Jalen Johnson. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's actually that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, here's where I struggle with this, uh, and it comes with with from, and it's probably recent. Like Damian hit me on this. Like when he starts to say like, okay, you know, I think this person has got a chance to be like an NFL guy. It's like, ah, uh, let's slow down. Uh, I, I, I hate to compare a guy to like a 10 year NFL vet, but you know, he's, he's got, he's got, there's not anything he lacks. I think is the best way to say it with, with Newcomb. So no, that, that's not, it's not far off. If he, if he ended up being a long-term NFL guy. Yeah. I, I would not be surprised one bit. One thing I liked about Newcomb is his his play at wide receiver and they also use him as like a wildcat quarterback he just he has good offensive ball skills as a receiver um posted 500 yards receiving last year so you know just like last year we saw makari vickers playing wide receiver 
Wagner played wide receiver, and we obviously know <laughs> Jacoby uh, Johnson played wide receiver as well. I, I just like I like DBs that that have some that play some wide receiver for their high school, right? That you know, I, I kind of triggered you in one of our chat sessions talking about dropped interceptions by our DBs over the last couple of Eight. years. <laughs> so I just like the fact that you know, just like those other guys last year, he's got good ball skills. And the other thing I liked is he's had 12 interceptions in his varsity career. And sometimes, so I, you know, I have to double check his stats. So he's averaging about four a year, but obviously he's been well known in the Phoenix area as like a, you know, ball hawking cornerback, but he's still gotten interceptions last year. And sometimes, you know, I'll, you know, I'll watch the the huddle film of, of top cornerbacks in high school. And it's like, well, he's really good in coverage, but I never see him actually get an interception because Teams just don't throw at him, right? It's just so yeah. easy to kind of not, you know, to isolate a, a really good cornerback and just that's why so often we see big cornerbacks playing, you know, safety and and mixing things up just so they can't they, they can't be isolated away. So no, you think, know what? You 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 touched on two like really kind of vital things. Like one, I, I I'm a firm believer in what you said about I think it speaks to him as a football player and him as an athlete. And I don't want to like I don't mean to ever discount like him as an athlete when I say he's not like an elite, you know, guy. It's just, again, like thinking of guys like Akili Ringo or, or someone that could, you know, yeah. potentially be trying to, in, trying, you know, to be a, a guy in the Olympics. But to your point, I think it was something Urban Meyer used to talk about was when they would go to recruit corners, he wanted to see guys that played running back or quarterback or receiver, you know, that you, that he knew at the high school level, if you're the best athlete and if you're the best football player, your coach is going to put you on offense and they're going to try to find a way to get you the ball. And that's one thing that sticks out with Newcomb that you nailed, uh, you know, Chris, is they see him, they'll put him like, hey, we need whatever, right? We need a couple yards. Put 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 Jeremiah in at Wildcat quarterback. Hey, we need a couple yards. We need, you know, eight yards. Put Jeremiah in at running back. Yeah, hey, we need a big play. Put Jeremiah in at receiver. Like that's really vital. And it also kind of harps on the other thing you just hit when it's talking about like ball skills and just being a playmaker. And part of me wonders if that, to your point, like a lot of dropped interceptions in Oklahoma, just not coming up with like the sooner magic in some regards, which is meaning like the big plays when you needed them, particularly defensively the last decade. And a big part of me wonders, you know, is that because you get into this habit of, you know, again, kind of like, you know, the previous staff did where, hey, we want a guy that is this tall, this fast, or his track time says this, he, he can put away this much. We're looking for height, weight, speed, and we'll, we'll turn him into a football player as we're no, like you want really great football players that also match up with the physical trait perspective. And we've got tons of tape on, you know, that we can watch of him making plays again, crunch time. So when he gets to college, yeah, it's just, you know, to your point, picking the ball off, that's just what he does. He's he's comfortable in that. Chris, you know, there obviously there's a lot to like about Newcomb, but how, how do the numbers around Newcomb look in this class at cornerback, at safety? Um, I, I think Jeremiah is definitely a corner, so it might not impact safety too much. But in, in Venables' defense, you kind of have to look at DB as a whole. So where does Newcomb fit in? Well, I, again, he was kind of a surprising commitment. Um, and some of the other names at, at DB and cornerback, who I think most everybody, including me, I'm about to make my April class prediction, 
I basically got it finished. Is where does where does this leave the numbers? Because Newcomb was not anticipated. So now all of a sudden, OU is going to take Kobe Black whenever, right? They're going to take that recruiting to the mattresses. As long as he's taking our phone calls and wants to come on campus, OU's going to recruit Kobe Black until until signing day, right? So he's a take regardless. So that leaves like three or four ships left for other players. And OU has Eli Bowen out there, Peyton's brother. Um, Mikel Patterson McDonald, the safety from Oklahoma City, who is everyone has heavily leaning to OU. So that's that's two more slots. So OU may really only have one or two more DB slots in play. We already talked about Vabu Torre. And we already talked about Jaden Hayden, sorry, Jaden Hardy, sorry. Uh, so from Lewis, the Louisville DB. So it's looking like there's like very little room in the OU DB safety big board. I mean, it's it's getting crunched. And OU recently offered, you know, a very interesting cornerback from the Tulsa area, Devin, uh, Devin Jordan, I think is his name. Uh, and, you know, now apparently he really wanted an OU offer. And I'm like, yeah, you, do I, I, you need to like jump on this now if you want to be a Sooner. Same thing to maybe some other players. Like, is it is it possible OU fills up before Eli Bowen commits? I would have said no, but I think it's, I think it's, it, it's, it's a possibility. So Newcomb has, has constricted everything and makes things really interesting in the in the db cornerback uh cornerback room so um it's it, things have gotten very tight and i i'm projecting like five dbs but if you add kobe black that's that that's six dbs in the class and then when you start trying to compress some of the other numbers it gets uh, knowing that OU probably has to stick with just a class of 25 things get things have gotten real tight real interesting very quickly in, in the in the cornerback safety room. Hey, hey, Chris, and this is just the thought. Do you think they approach it from a potential of let's plan to oversign because we think the NC because the NCAA is still not fixed, just the overarching issue of the transfer yeah. portal. Yeah, they haven't um, fixed the the numbers. The numbers situation is still just crazy. And it's yeah, and it's pro and it's still we're still in that window where everyone has that COVID year. Not everyone, but a lot of guys still have a COVID yeah, year. They do, and so it's still it's really it's in a bad heart. It's in a difficult spot. Uh, yeah, roster management is crazy. I have no idea how they're doing it. Yeah, yeah. I think Mike Mike Stoops had a. Not Mike Stoops. I don't know where that came from. Mike Gundy. Uh, he had a, I think a rant this week talking about yeah, he did. you need, you know, contracts or things like that, which I kind of agree with in some regard. But I mean, a letter of intent effectively is not a letter of intent, but when you sign that grant of aid, yeah. that that is because because the 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 conferences as of 10 years ago stepped in and required those be four years as opposed to one year. So it's, it's a weird deal. I, I just wonder if they approach it as like, hey, I'm almost positive the NCAA is going to step in and do something again, even if it's just another short-term Band-Aid to allow people to oversign. So let's plan on that and let's try to sign a bigger high school class. Or, I mean, otherwise, I'm with you. And we've talked about this on the board 
uh, in a couple of threads. Yeah, we've been going Some back and it, forth on this. It's con- <laughs> I don't want to. I don't use the word confusing, but uh, it's difficult to read. I I went through about five or six edits of the uh, of my class, and I'm like, I'm just trying to stick to the 25 number, and I'm just not making it work. Um, based upon I did. And I'm going to leave a guy off that everyone's going to be like, why do you leave this guy off? I'm like, I'm just trying to stick to 25. I, I don't know how else to do this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when you think about two quarterbacks, maybe three running backs, you want a full, at, at least one tight end guy of some way, shape, or form. And you want a full class of O-line because um, Bill Beanball is starting to have some success with the young guys on campus. And we like the 20, we like the pieces in the 23 class, but if he could follow that up with a full five high school players in 24, that would be like, yeah, that, that, that O-line thing is starting to go in the right direction. Yeah, and then, and then to your point, right, you look at receiver and you're looking at three, maybe at three at least, potentially four. Uh, well, you go McMorris and then Kearney and uh, Zayon Keeney and Brian Wesco, and then all of a sudden, you know, some, you know, a name we'll mention here in a bit. we we'll talk future freaks, you know. Xavier Jordan, the top 100 elite wide receiver from Cali, wants to be a Sooner. Are you going to pass that up based upon our wide receiver numbers? I, I don't know how you do that. No. <laughs> well, and, and I'll, I'll use the word confused, Caleb, because I think it is confusing because um, this past, uh, was that two weekends ago now, we had the Future Freaks event. Just last, just last weekend. Just last weekend. So Matt, you're, 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 you've had so much stuff going on in your yeah. life. You <laughs> everything, days of, you know, like, uh, you know, day, days of, you know, hours have become days, days have become weeks on you. So, well, and, and maybe that's, that's part of my confusion too, because you, you step away for, for a week and all of a sudden, you know, we're about to talk about five new names for the 24 class. That kind of came out of nowhere in the last week or two. Um, a couple offers. Uh, we had the John Bosco group from Cali visiting uh, guys like Kamori House, um, Chris and, and Caleb. You know, Chris, where where do we stand on some of these new names? And Caleb, what do you think about them? Uh, I guess we we've already talked about Jordan Lockhart a little bit, so but we'll, know, maybe but, we'll. But but man, to that point, Jordan Lockhart, we had talked about him, but he had a great visit. Loved OU. OU might be really close to, if we can get him away from the West Coast, like a leader there. Um, and that changes everything. And that, can, that throws linebacker recruiting off. But um, sorry to interrupt you. But yeah, we've got Maury House, uh, Cheetah. He's going to blow up this year. I think he looks great at Cheetah. And then a um, couple of names we hadn't had a chance to talk about. Uh, visited Marquise Easley, the huge tackle from Illinois. Visited Caleb. You've had a chance to watch him on film, right? Yeah, no, I have. Uh, I really like Easley quite a bit, uh, and he loves know. OU. Like a lot of buzz that that maybe a lot of buzz about how much he loved that OU visit. Like he yeah. really, really clicked with 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 Bill Beatenbaugh. I, I mean, I'm going out on a complete limb here and I'm, I'm really just like putting puzzle pieces together that probably I'm probably cutting the pieces off myself with a straight razor to make them fit. Right. Like I don't, don't take this part of me wonders if he's not potentially the next one of, you know, outside of Hawkins, let's say Hawkins pulls the trigger. If Easley's not 
not the per first person after that. And, and part of that reason is you're starting to see other Midwestern kids trending to, you know, it looks like Ohio State's got their their board focused and then Michigan's got the board focused, you know, and, and, and then Penn State as well along the offensive line, right? And like not, you know, I mean, because Oklahoma could lose an offensive line battle, particularly to it from a kid from Chicago to to Wisconsin or to Iowa. But with losing Oklahoma, losing recruiting battles for kids they really want to those types of schools is pretty rare. And I mean, easily he looks, he's a big kid. He looks probably, you know, all of that listed six, seven, 300 pounds, uh, but he's not a sloppy kid. I think he's a basketball player. Yeah. Uh, super, super physical moving forward. Uh, and to your point, like he's really athletic when you see him, they use, um, you know, the offensive line coach maybe is a Bill Beanbow deserves a lot of credit. And so does Lincoln Riley uh, for this, but, you know, uh, just kind of the reemergence of a lot of that GT, you know, counter work along, you know, from spread offenses and from the shotgun. It wasn't something that everybody did a lot. It wasn't a staple of run games. And after Lincoln Riley and Bill Beanbow really made that the staple of the Oklahoma run game and Oklahoma's success with Mayfield and, uh, and Kyler and Jalen, you started to see everybody else do that. And, and he's super athletic. I mean, you see him pulling around, uh, and he can run. It's, it's uh, scary for a high school. I mean, it's scary for high school, high school footage watching him pull. I'm like, wow, yeah. that's a, that is a monster truck moving fast. He, he, he looks like, I mean, this is the, 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 the hyperbole part of me, the recruiting guy. Part of me. I mean, he looks like a more athletic Orlando Brown pulling. I mean, I hate to say this because Orlando, but like a way more athletic Orlando Brown pulling, uh, he does. I mean, he looks, I'll be honest, like he, he makes uh, Ely, you know, was it Marquise Ely? Is that who uh, played right tackle there for two to three years in Norman? He's so much more athletic than him. He's kind of that size, right? Six, seven, yeah, yeah, 300 yeah. pounds. Uh, yeah, but hot, super athletic. I would say really athletic moving forward. Like, and it's not a knock at all in his game because he's also he feels a little bit like a bead and bow offensive lineman in that you see he's pretty physical. He's got a, a little bit nasty. Of, he's, he's a little nasty. Hundred percent. Like, and you see it on film. There's a couple times I think early on he takes a kid, I don't know, 15 yards off the ball. And then he takes him from one hash and puts him on the opposite sideline, plants him on the sideline, and he gets up and kind of yells in his face. Like it's just absolutely no mercy at any point. After I bury you, still no mercy. Uh, and that's like I would, you know kind of think of the build bean as a lineman being wired that way. You know, I think he's still, I think he's still figuring out that he's got elite length, that he's got massively long arms in his past sets. And I think he's still got to, there's a lot of work to be done there to some regards, you know, with just like his kick slide and being comfortable and being smooth and really dropping, you know, and setting down and controlling guys. Cause he's got, every trait to be elite in that area. I think it's just, you watch his high school, they like to run the ball and he likes to get on people. Yeah. But he, I'm, I'm a big fan, big fan of his. And, and I'm same way you mentioned, like with Kamari house, uh, I, you watch Kamari house and I, I immediately think of like Keenan Clayton. Although, yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good comp. 
maybe he's probably, you know what, though? He's, I think he's better off the edge as a natural blitzer than Keenan was. You know, where Keenan had played safety so much, he was so fantastic in coverage. You watch House at the line, it's a line of scrimmage. He's got that kind of, he's got, I won't say Eric Stryker to him. Uh, I'm trying to think who that. I mean, he's, he's a little. He's a, he's like a lot. He's a little bit like a longer Lewis Carter. He brings, he brings the heat on Hinton, folks. He does not like yeah. offensive players at all. No, no, no. And I remember, you know, Eric Stryker was really good, like yeah. as a versus the run off the edge, right? When you weren't like bringing a guy to him, right? He could, you know, use his athleticism to get around that 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 tight end or tackle or whomever and make the play either away from him down the line or, you know, and you see that like, yeah, when I watched, when I watched house, my first thought was, it's just for what I think, again, like kind of watching some of the film and reading stuff on what Brent Venables did defensively at, at Clemson and assuming that's kind of what he wants to build there. He seems just, whether it's Will linebacker or the cheetah, let plug him in. And you can probably he's going to fit so well there and give the defense he would give the defense a lot of flexibility. All right, and we mentioned uh, the St. John Bosco crew uh, with Kamori House and and others. Uh, there was another visitor from California from Chatsworth, uh, top one hundred wide receiver Xavier Jordan. I think a good comp for him is maybe Kenny Stills. Could be a little bit of that California flavor there, but uh, body type. Um, skills wise, I think Kenny Stills is a pretty good comparison. Caleb, what do you think about Xavier Jordan? Yeah, no. So with Jordan, I mean, he's, he looks like a guy that's going to be, he's considered by most, I would assume an elite guy by this is kind of judging by the staffs and all the groups that are recruiting him. Right. You see him going into Ohio state, uh, Alabama, Oklahoma, I think Texas is after just kind of everybody. Yeah, I think he's a consensus top 100 too, I think, across the industry. He's, I think Kenny Stills is a good comp. I thought I think he's got, he is, he's got more natural wiggle, flexibility, looseness in his hips than what, than what Kenny had. Uh, Although he, you know, I think that's a, that's a, that's a really good comp. You know, he, to me, he is, and I think you see this a little bit, and even with the Nebraska kid McMillan, I think oftentimes those receivers that are in that neighborhood right there where he's at, right? So 5'11 and a half, maybe 6'1 and 6'2, maybe even 6'2 and a half, somewhere in that mold, you know, 185 to 205 pounds. There's a certain level of body control and ability to accelerate, decelerate, and then reaccelerate, which is really where you're going to get your separation from as a receiver, right? Like ability to get to top speed, gear down, make a cut, explode out, and quickly get back to top speed is you know how you're going to be able to separate from a from a DB, you know, in your in your route tree. And I think you see that with him. Uh, and just a, I think the first word I wrote down is like he's a slick football player. And, you know, he's uh, right when you think like oh he, maybe he's not real physical, you see him be real physical. Great. Uh, you know, it's a great a couple of great blocks. I'm like, whoa, yeah, man, yeah. he's not afraid. That's why the Kenny Stills. I always remember Kenny doing that block on the DD, on the DD Williams um, 95 yard run at the Texas game, where Kenny right. came like 40 yards across the field to to blow up the last Longhorn had a chance. You know, with a legal block, and it's like I always remember that that play from Kenny Stills. Yeah, and, and the thing that kind of jumps out with guys like that and where I think 
and I can see people saying, you know, uh, he's an elite guy. I really think seeing people, seeing guys do that, it speaks to an elite, an elite ability to be a competitor. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. He's always, he's not, he's not out there just going to shut it down if he doesn't get the ball. Like, no, he, he's going to, he's kind of got some nasty in or just, he's just, uh, he's just really hyper competitive is what it looks like on film when you watch him. Uh, no. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's like an elite burner that's going to run four, three, eight, four, three, six, but he's, but he's a twitched up guy. Uh, really good acceleration. Got a, he's like Kenny. That's a, in that I would say I wrote down, you know, he's got a sneaky ability to run by defenders where maybe you look at him like, oh, you know, he's fast, but maybe not a world-class. And then it's like, okay, but he's running by everybody. So yeah. Uh, he, he just, I think he understands spacing, uh, how to work away from DBs on, on deep balls, you know, just again, really, He's advanced as a receiver, I think, in that way. Uh, and sometimes I think whether it's advanced as a receiver or just advanced it as a competitor, you know, he understands my goal is to get away from this guy and get the ball. And you'll see him break deep on, on some of those balls. And he understands, hey, I've got to work to the middle of the field or I've got to work to the outside, create separation here, you know, and, and, and go make a play. And he just does everything extremely smoothly and what looks very naturally and at ease for him. I thought in his highlight footage, there were a couple of catches where the DB had excellent coverage and he's making catches. He just has like no real business making like, okay, how, how in the world did he catch that ball? Like he's, he's like leaning over, you know, and he's just, he's almost out of bounds. He's just, I just thought he was making some catches where the DB sort of has to look up, look back and say, I had him covered, man. How the hell did he do that? You know, it was just, he just made some unbelievable catches. His ball skills are just, uh, I thought were elite. I mean, yeah. you could just in terms of like, how did he make that catch? And then he makes that catch and then he makes a move after and he's gone for like, you know, he makes a, you know, he's, it's all fluid, right? He's like, he makes a great catch and he's still running and he, and rack and he's just, and his rack yards are coming afterwards. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's sometimes you get a little overblown with speed. I mean, he doesn't have elite speed, but he's got, good football speed or great football game speed so yeah no i mean i don't want to compare him to like jackson smith and jigba that coming out of ohio state this year while people right, think right. he'll be a first rounder but yeah that was one of the comps i wrote down watching him was you know jackson smith and jigba because you know that's you know in well, ohio state apparently thinks so because if they you know if ohio state's making a big push for him they are the sadly they are the cadillac of wide receivers right now yeah they're wide receiver you well know. rolls maybe rolls royce of wide receivers to be <laughs> to be nicer to him so this isn't the 80s that's right all right and then the last 24 recruit that we'll talk about that did visit last weekend uh this one has a a lot of sooner flair to it there is a connection to the great marcus dupree or the, or the almost Isaiah. great almost great marcus dupree almost maybe. great or maybe almost yeah great. um the legendary how about that there marcus we go dupree. that works that works and that player is Isaiah Autry, offensive tackle out of Mississippi. He's another guy who's a monster. He's 6'6". Six, six. He's in that 280 range, so he's he's a little bit leaner than Marcus Easley, but uh, very athletic. Um, Caleb, what, what are your thoughts uh, on, on Autry? Yeah, you know, 
I, I think everybody that listens to this and, and you guys in particular probably know oftentimes how I feel about offensive linemen. And I'm always a big believer in, in athletic guys that have great frames that don't carry a bunch of bad weight that can really develop. You know, when you look back for the last 10, 15 years and in the NFL draft and you look at the top tackles that get drafted nine times out of 10, when you backtrack to what were they in high school, that's what they were. They were not. 6'6", 350 pounds, like those are beyond rare. Uh, And so, yeah, Autry to me, he's that, he's in that mold of a high ceiling guy, all the, all the physical traits that you would want for a guy, you know, he's got them. He's long, he's athletic, he's real fluid. He's not a stiff guy. He can bend, Uh, you know, you get him in coaching in a collegiate weight room, weight program. And yeah, I think that that natural development just just takes its course and and you turn around and you've got the potential for, you know, a high end uh, offensive tackle that, you know, is can, again, is athletic and, and can bend. So he's got the ability to mirror you know, the top edge rushers, uh, and he's got that length. It'll have that size to be, you know, to be, a you know, an impact guy in the run game. So he's, I really like Autry. I think he's, uh, you know, a high ceiling guy. Okay. That, that rounds up the 24 guys that were in the, the weekend that was really supposed to be for the 25 guys. So let's go ahead and touch base, uh, with you, Chris, real quick on the list of 25 guys that were there, um, why don't you just kind of run us through one of your, your, one of your long lists of, of all these guys that OU seem to be in a really good spot for, uh, even a, a full year ahead of the cycle. Well, I'm, I'm calling the first group, you know, Vegas baby, cause there were a bunch of Vegas kids on campus and three names I think detracted OU's in a great spot with are the first one is Douglas U2, the offensive tackle from Bishop Gorman. He is a top 50 player in the nation, maybe top 25. And it appears like he really loved his OU visit, really, really clicked with uh, uh, with the OU staff. Another name of a guy who just loved his OU visit is Christian Thatcher from Vegas, uh, Arborview High School. He's a linebacker. He's about 6'2", 6'3", 190, 200. Um, we're probably going to do a little more in-depth on Christian coming up because we we were hoping to do an interview with him like we did with, with his uh, Las Vegas teammate, Matai. And then the last uh, Vegas player to mention, also from Bishop Gorman, he's an offensive guard, offensive center. And I'm going to try and not butcher this name completely. He's Seisu Alafatuli. About 6'3", 250. Um, really good on film. Pretty physical guy. I guess the, ne- the next group, um, I'd like to give a little focus too. was the in-state talent, lots of talent from in-state, a lot of 26 kids, including Caden, uh, Caden Jones, Kawan Jones, his son, who looks like he could be a huge big time running back in 26. But in the 25 guys, the first name was Nate Roberts. And I was really happy to see Nate back on OU's campus because he's been going around the country a little bit. He's been in Baylor. He's been to Baylor where his brother is. So I was happy to see him back on OU's campus because he's a fantastic tight end and I'd like to see him be one of the OU tight ends in 25. The other name is the Oklahoma City wide receiver, Jaden Nickens, who's a top 50 player right now. Superb wide receiver, big time athlete, excellent basketball player, just able to really put all those, put all those athletic skills together uh, on the, 
on both the hard court and, and at wide receiver. And then the last in-state name is Elijah Thomas from Chicota. We've mentioned him a couple of times. He's a fantastic-looking cornerback wide receiver, top 100 player in the nation. I also mentioned before uh, from the guy who got the crystal ball, uh, Grayson Harris was also a wide receiver there, as was um, Elijah, as was Jaden Nickens. So the wide receiver group on campus was, was pretty awesome. Um, and then moving to sort of the elite guys from Texas, OU had, I think, four guys who I would consider just the elite players from Texas. First is Michael Fasusi, big offensive tackle from Louisville. I think he's really clicking with OU. Devin Sanchez, who I've mentioned several times on this podcast, you 6'2", 185-pound cornerback from Houston North Shore, seems to be really tight with Jay Valai, really liking OU, and maybe he can break the uh, he can break through the uh, breakthrough, and OU can sign a five-star cornerback from the Houston area where they just just have the last ten years they just haven't been able to to just break through this like lockdown in the Houston area that uh, LSU and Texas sort of more or less seem to have. Then Kelvin Riggins, he's from Dallas at South Oak Cliff. He's probably the best linebacker in Texas for 2025. 6'1", 2'10", just absolutely, he looks like a, he looks like he could be a senior. He's that well-developed. He's that. That's looking dude that, on the hoof. Yeah. <laughs> he, 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 you know, I would, um, he just looks like, he looks like a senior. It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, some, some, some coaches didn't think he was, you know, didn't think he was a, he was a 25 kid. He's just that, he just looks that good. And then last, there had been, there were a couple of running backs, but I'm going to focus on Tory Blaylock, the running back from Humble, top 100 player in the nation, really likes OU. Uh, his dad was Derek Blaylock, who was an NFL player. So, you know, really, OU had the best cornerback, the best offensive tackle, the best linebacker, probably the best running back in Texas for 25, all on campus. So I know that's a lot of names, but OU had 50, 60 offer kids on campus. So it was a, an unbelievable weekend uh, for the Sooners. And they just, they did a great job making connections with lots of kids. You know, I keep mentioning 24, looks like a top five class. And now after this Future Freaks weekend, so does 25. So it's back to the topic of last of, of of the last couple of weeks, it's all right there. Can we can can we see OU put it together on the field? Twenty five looks particularly. It's that's. I do wonder if, and I, it, obviously, it's got to be put together on the field. I I would look at the schedule, look at the talent, and then always look at the talent that's exiting the other programs that you're they're playing. Right? I mean. Uh, across the across the entirety of the schedule i mean if if oklahoma's not 10 and 2 like i would imagine there's i just can't imagine them not being because even if you tell me dylan gabriel goes down in today's world i would expect a five-star quarterback that's you know you know mr football and gatorade player of the year to be still really good as a true freshman because football is just it's just changed with the amount of coaching and the development guys have you know, from a young age up, but 25 looks crazy because of, in my mind, the high level in-state talent. I mean, yeah, Nate, yeah. Nate Roberts has already got 
basically everybody in the country. I mean, has he offered him as a tight end? Uh, I mean, it looks like he's probably top two or three uh, tight ends in the country for that class. And you've got a five-star wide receiver up the, up the street in, uh, you know, in, in Oklahoma city. I mean, it would probably, you'd have to go back to what, when Gresham and McCoy and Bradford in that class, the last time you could look at Oklahoma producing multiple players who are the top players in their country at those positions as recruits with Jermaine and Gerald, as it's got the potential potential to be with Nickens uh, and Roberts. Yeah. And there's also, you know, it's, there's also, I mean, Elijah Thomas is, is super potential. Yeah. Um, CJ, um, uh, CJ, um, I can't remember his last name. He's Simon. Uh, yeah. Simon is a wide receiver athlete, but there's also another guy who's, uh, who wasn't at the camp. He wasn't at the, the event. He's six, five to two twenty. I can't, I just can't pull his name. He also looks really good. And they haven't offered a couple other guys that, that have potential as well. So it's, and you think about 25, you know, you got Malik Hawkins, Sanchez, uh, maybe Dejon Petaway, if he's able to come up and visit again, you know, it's just, it's, it's, if they could find some D line for the rest of this class, um, 25 could be, you know, and I, and I really loved uh, a player who visited, I could just go on and on about the players that came last weekend. Sorry guys. Uh, Juju, Julian Juju Marks from Kansas came to visit. He's 6'7", 260. So he could be the, he could be the PJ Adeware, Williams Noweri of that class, you know, Kansas, Missouri keeps donating elite defensive linemen. Hopefully, hopefully keeps sending elite defensive linemen to the OU, uh, to, 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 to OU's D line. And, and Marks could be that next guy. He could easily be that next guy. So it's, uh, it's the 25 classes off based upon the future 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 freaks is, is in great shape. And, you know, you, you start tying those three classes together, 23, 24, 25. And it, it, you could see some really special athletes, uh, some special athletes in Norman. All right. And if you're a usual listener to this show, you know, we like to kind of finish off a last segment with a little bit of fun. Uh, today, we're going to kind of introduce a, a new, not really game show, but a new segment that we'll do uh, for the next couple months, a position big board, uh, kind of our version of ESPN's Kuiper versus NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah. Uh, Caleb and Chris are going to debate for the purposes of this discussion. Um, they'll, de- they'll debate who they like the most at offensive tackle today. We're going to do offensive tackle first. Um, Chris is going to kind of knock out uh, OU's kind of list based on the interest and signability of these players. And then Caleb's board will kind of go over those players and, and who he likes the most, who he would rank based on talents. So, Chris, do you want to go ahead and get started on your list of offensive tackles that OU has interest in? And these guys do have some interest back in OU and their signability. Yeah. So I think the number one guy that for the tackle board that combines signability and OU level of interest is Andrew Sprague from Kansas city, the six foot eight, 270 pound, 280 pound offensive tackle from uh, Casey Rockhurst. So he's my number one. Now, number two, I have Bennett Warren 
because I think his level of interest in OU is super high. And Bennett Warren is from Sugarland, Texas, and he's 6'7", 300, 310, and he's recently been skyrocketing up, uh, skyrocketing up some of their rankings. So I think he's number two. Number three is a guy we've talked a lot about in this show, Marcus Easley. I think he's the third guy. Then the fourth guy is Caden Massey, and he is from Kansas, and he's a big kid. He's, he's all these guys are, are, are giants, at least lengthwise. He's 6'8", like 260 from Kansas. I have him as my number four. Number five, I have Liam Andrews, who I love a lot on film, but I think the distance and finding some of those programs in the Northeast is going to be tough for OU. So I have him number five. He visited at the end of January and haven't heard of a return visit yet. The next guy is going to be the guy we just talked about. Um, again, Isaiah Autry from Mississippi. He's going to be in the sixth slot. And then the seventh slot, we have a brand new offer that recently occurred. Uh, Garrett Sexton from Wisconsin. He's 6'7", 240, but he's real for 250. So he's kind of lean, a little bit like um, Howland from last year's class. But he's really good on tape, super athlete. But I just have like no idea where OU is on in terms of signability. And, and again, he's going to put up some weight. It's probably more of a longer-term project. And I just I just don't know where he is in terms of OU. I, I figure he's pretty much set to, to go to Wisconsin. So that would be my guess. So that is my seven offensive tackles big board. All right, Caleb, if we kind of remove OU from the picture and whether or not OU has a chance at signing these guys, what is, what is your list of, of offensive tackles based on their talents and how you would rank them individually? Okay. So, and I, I mean, there's always a, a bit of a bias in this, right? I mean, cause it's, it's an opinion. And so I, I would say, you know, where I come at and anyone that listens to the pod, you probably know, like, and I, I reiterated a little bit of it probably five minutes ago. I, I I'm a really big believer in, like trying to find guys that don't carry a ton of bad weight that have good body control, good core strength are, you know, coordinated athletic, right. They can move. I think the game is obviously everybody knows this, the game's opened up so much, right. And even from an offensive line perspective with so many of the screen game, you got to have guys, you got to have movers and it's, it's less, you know, let's line them up with a Kyle Brady, 275 pound tight end and just bludgeon people to death. Uh, so given that, you know, how I broke it is I, I do, I would probably have Sprague number one, I think, uh, you know, he's got like absolute amazing size. It's probably six, seven and some change. Uh, he's lane two sixty, uh, super well-built though, athletic. He's still a bit of a project in some regards though, right? Just meaning who he is today but who he's going to be in two or three years are, are very different things. Uh, you know, I, I really like what, what I see with him and yeah, if you've seen some, some crystal balls for Michigan this past week come in, I think it's a fight Oklahoma's trying to fight. Uh, number two would be Liam Andrews for me. Uh, and for me, he is probably the most fluid, most explosive, most athletic uh, guy 
on this entire board. He's a little bit, he's a smaller, uh, notably than, than Sprague where Sprague is six, seven, some change. He's listed at six, eight, Liam Andrews, six, five. Uh, but he's, you know, he's smaller at six, five. Yeah. Smaller at six, five. Yeah. So Damien, right. You saw the picture of all those guys and thought, man, those guys are tiny. Those, those are, can't be division one. It's like, well, he's six, eight. And then it's like, oh, okay. I, yeah. They're all six, five. And that one's six, eight. Uh, yeah. He's, I mean, I know that uh, Taylor Lewan is is was taller, right, from a frame perspective. But I I can remember Lewan coming out of whatever high school it was in Arizona and seeing his film, and he was yeah two sixty, uh, two fifty, played some defensive end. You just saw a really athletic guy that could move, and he's like, hey, a couple of years he's going to be three ten, and I think that's Andrews if he wants to play uh, tackle. And I, though I I wouldn't be shocked if he decided he wanted to play defensive tackle. Uh, you know, so next up for me, I, I would put Marquis Easley at, at, at number three. And, and the big part of that is he's got a natural strength and nasty to him. Uh, he's not as athletic as the other two. He doesn't uh, slide. He does not as fluid right now, you know, but, you know, there's a point of, you know, you only got to be so proficient in that, you know, it's why you don't play 210 pound guys at tackle, right? It's a collection of all your skills and everything coming together. I, I'd put him at three. I think he's, once he gets with a guy like a Bill Biedenbow and is working in his pass pro as much as he's working on just mauling people, I, he's got all the, all the tools to be high end in that area. Coming in for number four, I've got Caden Massey, uh, which is crazy to say that like a Western Kansas uh, eight-man high school football player. But again, it just goes back to, you know, the compilation of all the skills and the physical ability. And he's 6'7", he's 260 pounds, state champion basketball team, you know, out there running around, super athletic. You know, again, same type of thing where who he's going to be in three years or two years after, you know, a year or two with Schmitty, if he chooses Oklahoma, is a completely different place from where he is, where he is today. And it's the same with my next. Uh, so, you know, five, I've got Garrett Sexton. Uh, you know, I will say, like, to your point, uh, Chris, he's super skinny right now. When you look at him, he's six seven, two 250 pounds. He is a skinny kid. He's got a bunch of pictures he's posted on social media the past week where he's visited, I think, Michigan, Penn State, Notre Dame. And, you know, you, you see him in that uniform and you're like, man, he's got a long way to go. But the frame's there to get there. He really reminds me. I can remember when Mike McGlitchie was signed with Notre, Notre Dame. Almost the same type of thing. He was 6'8". He was 255 pounds. Uh, fast forward, you know, and he's a first round draft pick coming out at 315 pounds, you know, 310 pounds by the time he's been, in, you know, uh, in, in South Bend for four years. And, you know, it, Sexton is super athletic. He's really explosive through the hips. You see him like really, he can, he comes off the ball and he is long for days. Uh, he, he's got all that ability. And a little bit of nasty too. He, he's, it's, it's hidden in there. It is. It is. It is. He's physical with kids. You think he'd be all kind of finesse, like, you know, he's just gonna he's just gonna use athletic, but he 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 knocks some kids around. I was like, whoa, okay. That's a really good point. Yeah, no, he's not a uh, he is not a position blocker. You don't see him coming up to the second level and just trying to wall the linebacker off. I can remember years ago, like when Trent uh, Williams at Oklahoma, and I think everybody saw it with uh, 
the former Texas linebacker Jordan Hicks when they played the Cardinals maybe two or three years ago. There's that highlight clip you can see of Trent coming off the ball and just literally decleating uh Jordan Hicks. And yeah, he's he did again, he's not a position blocker. When he gets to the second level, he's trying to just he's planting guys in the ground and, and just exploding through them. So I yeah, it's just a matter of him putting on 60 pounds in the next two to three years. Um and then, you know, the next one, same as you can kind of see, following along with that that same methodology. I've, I've got Isaiah Autry. Now, I just, you know, I think he's got – he's an athletic guy. He's got a good frame. He's got some things that you can't teach. He just needs to be developed, get in the weight room, get with a strength coach, uh, and and you've, you've got a guy that can really be a player. And then the, the last one on my board, and it's not a shot at him because I really think every one of those kids that you run down just about, right, every one of them has got extremely high-end ceiling. Like if you look down and you said, hey, if this guy reaches everything he could possibly be, what might that be? And I could, well, I could pull up a sheet, you know, Excel doc I've got, and I could show you probably 20 guys over the last 10 years that came out of similar high schools that were similar height and weight, speed, all of those things that have been first round draft picks and are playing in the NFL. So and I think every one of those guys just has some rare athleticism. Uh, so the last one was just Bennett Warren. Uh, and he's just a, right now, he's just a bigger, a bit heavier kid than the rest. Uh, but, you know, he's a physical kid that, that likes to mix it up. He's just a lot like Autry, right? He's just got to get with a, a guy like a Bill Biedenboe and work to refine and not unlike easily, right? Work to refine and, and work those hard edges off, work to get his hands inside, right? Work on his dropping his butt a little bit more when he's in his pass set. But, uh, you know, he's got, the size, he's got the length, he's got the ability to be, a, I think, a really good right tackle. If OU was to sign Warren, I would be very happy that he would have Schmitty as his strength and conditioning guy to perhaps keep him from being, becoming like a 6'8", 360, sloppy, big guy. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Like, you know, and... Because uh, that can, you know, because otherwise you, you, you'd be a little worried maybe because Warren, maybe Warren, because I think Warren's the rawest, but he, you know, it's again, it's a, there's a lot, there's so much, there's so much clay there for like B and B and Schmitty to turn into just a monster. You know what? You are hundred percent right. And we could take that. I would say I've probably never been more vocal about just not liking an offer and not liking the kid as a take from an offensive line perspective. than when Oklahoma took uh, Montgomery, right yeah. along the offensive line a couple of years ago. And then, and let's just, let's not try to be, you know, let's just try to be very like transparently honest, like in the language we'll use here under the previous strength and conditioning staff, he was allowed to get up close to 400 pounds and looked like a kid that was never going to play. I don't know what, what Benny Wiley or any of those other guys were doing with him from a workout perspective. And I certainly do not know what they were doing with him from a mental perspective of like trying to, you know, instill, you know, a vision for what he could be hard work and discipline and putting together a clear, decisive plan to how to go achieve, to be that thing. Right. It, it, I do not think it existed from the, other, the other strength coach that was Benny's friend that, you know, he's like the, 
the hop and skip champion of the world. You watch him on social media and he's always teaching kids how to hop and skip. Uh, can't think of his name, played offensive line at tech and then reverse that. And you get Schmidt in and the updated roster, he's 307 pounds. Like it's unbelievable to see a guy that over the last, it's kind of like Duke Robinson. I think, you know, Montgomery's lost probably 80 pounds yeah. over the last 15 months. Yeah, I mean, he's, he, he's worked he's, really hard. He may not play just because, you know, Savion Bird is in front of him and some other guys who are really talented, but he's worked really hard. All credit to him. Yeah. Hey, you're yeah. taking that and, and running with it. Yeah. yeah before so. he, because before he looked like that guy's never going to, that guy's never going to play a down for us. Now I'm like, well, he may not play a down for us, but it's, but it's only because, you know, Jake Taylor and some of these other guys just look unbelievable, but it's not, yeah. it's not a knock on him. It's just, we may have just, you know, B&B may have just hit the target with Sexton and, and Green and, and uh, Jake Taylor. He may have just gotten his next wave of, you know, NFL guys, but, it, yeah. but Collins worked really hard and no all credit to him. Yeah, no, I mean, you look at him and you think, hey, to your point, like that looks like a guy that he's going to be competing for, uh, you know, backup role or and if we've got to play him, hey, that's fine. Uh, he's just, and I think that lends back to any of these guys. You feel like, I don't know, Schmidt is a bit of an ace in the hole there with them. We're like, hey, like we feel really good about we get these guys on campus. Can we develop them? Yeah, pretty, pretty confident that we'll develop them, you know, uh, because we've got the guy that can do it. And we got, and we've gotten, you know, good buzz out of Caden Green already. It sounds like Bates is working really hard. He worked really hard with Schmitty to get to get in better shape, because um, he came in a little. I think he'd been hurt. He hadn't. I really like out. what I've seen of Bates, like in the little clips we've seen. Well, you hear Rain talking about him throwing. You know, he's got. You know, he's been brawling all all practice. That's just what you want to hear. So, I mean, he's light footed and got a bit of pop in his hips. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, he was another guy where I was like, you know, looking at him physically, like he's got some work to do. He's doing it, and he's got the ability. It looks like a like a future really good player. So, all right, well, Matt, that's our first attempt at a big board. We kind of disagree a little bit. I understand completely where Caleb's coming from, but it's uh, we'll 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 hit the inside guys next week. All right, guys. Yeah, we'll hit the interior O-line next week. And we will be back with our regularly scheduled uh, programming next week. Uh, I think we're going to record on Thursdays. Um, We will see everybody on the board. There's a lot of threads on there regarding all these players that we just talked about. Um, Saptown, I'm sure we'll have uh, June 16th. We'll be here before we know it. We've already had some some players starting to line up that date. Uh, so be looking for that in the next month or so. Um, and another, again, another shout out to Saptown. He's doing a great job keeping all these guys organized on the board for us. Uh, there's been so many names, like 150 names between 24 and 25 that have popped up just this spring. So shout out to Saptown. He's doing an excellent job. And as always... A reminder again, subscribe to the show on your favorite platform of choice. We are on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. So hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. And we'll see everybody around the water cooler.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.